Suffreaks, it's your boy Marty here to introduce this episode of Rabbit Hole Recap. My God, Matt and I went for two hours. Uh, I hope you guys like it. We we got very passionate. I got very passionate specifically towards the end, last 45 minutes. We talked about a bunch of Bitcoin updates, everything from the latest version of LND to the latest version of Cold Card uh, to uh, Amidi's appearance on Tales from the Crypt. Open Arms appearance on uh, Tales from the Crypt, the intricacies of PDEP and PayJoin. We hit all that Bitcoin stuff. And then towards the end, we talked about liberty in the digital age, particularly right now in the age of coronavirus. It seems to me at least that the state and the establishment uh, is attempting to take some ground in the world of civil liberties. And I'm sorry if I seem a little spastic and... Uh, uh, all over the place towards the end of the episode, but I, I couldn't control the passion that I have for this topic particularly because I think something's a mess. Something's something's going on right now, and it's it's not making a lot of sense to me. And I want to make more people aware of uh, the fact that the establishment uh, is attempting to take liberties from you right now. I'll just end it at that. This episode of Tales from the Crypt's Rabbit Hole Recap brought to you by good friends at Unchained Capital. You know all about them. We actually talk about them in this episode. Caravan. Somebody forked Caravan uh, to add uh, cold card uh, compatibility with it. It's in beta right now. Do not put funds on there. Matt will say otherwise, but I would say do not put funds on there right now. What is Caravan? Caravan is a uh, multi-sig quorum software that was created by Unchained Capital. Uh, they use it for their Volts program. Uh, Volts product, excuse me. Their Volt product is uh, a multi-seed quorum that you can engage in where you have uh, two keys that you possess and then Unchained holds the third key. If you ever need uh, Unchained to come and sign that key, they're there to do that. Uh, otherwise, you can move the UTXOs within that vault, that multi-seed quorum uh, by yourself. You can use the two keys that you possess and do that on top of the vault program. Program. Why do I keep saying program? It's a product. On top of the vault product, they have uh, their loan their loan side. If you want to get a Bitcoin collateralized loan, you can get USD liquidity, uh, same day USD liquidity uh, using your Bitcoin. So you put your Bitcoin up as collateral, uh, you get USD in your bank account. Friends don't let friends sell Bitcoin. So you keep your Bitcoin, you get access to US dollars. And as long as your loan is getting paid back, you keep that Bitcoin. And on top of that, they're working on a bunch of open source software, uh, including the Caravan product that we mentioned earlier. On top of that, they got Slip39 that they're working on and Hermit. And then beyond that, they have their blog series where Parker Lewis, Will Cole, Dhruv Bansal, Phil Geiger, Joe Kelly are writing incredible content for people who are interested in learning about Bitcoin, how it works, why it's important, and what their products are doing to help Bitcoiners become more financially sovereign. They're building products, financial products for Bitcoin. Bitcoiners. So go to www.unchained-capital.com and check out everything they have going on. www.unchained-capital.com. On top of that, we got our good friends at Cash App sponsoring this episode as well. You freaks already know all about them. They've recently added dollar cost averaging capabilities onto the app. So if you want to just have a reoccurring purchase happen, you can choose daily, weekly, monthly, Put in the amount. You can set it and forget it on the Cash App now. Start stacking sats without even thinking about it. Uh, on top of that, sats is the standard. 
You can denominate your your total Bitcoin holdings in sats. It's not just Bitcoin anymore. And then if you want to, you don't have to. If you want to, the option is there. Optionality is important. You can stack slivers of stonks via Cash App Investing. All right. So if your favorite stonk is a little too expensive, you can invest as little as $1 because of Cash App Investing. Because everything's directly connected to your bank account or because Cash App is your bank account because now they offer that service as well. And you've got account numbers and routing numbers that uh, you can use via the Cash App to get paychecks direct deposited into the app. It could be your bank account if you want it to be. Uh, you don't have to wait four to five days uh, because Cash App is directly connected to your bank account or it is your bank account. Remember that Cash App Investing is a subsidiary of Square and member SIPC. And as always, all right, if you have not downloaded the Cash App yet, if you've been listening to the podcast and you have not downloaded the Cash App yet, and you're in a region where it can be downloaded, go to your app store, download the Cash App, use the code STACKINGSATS. That's one word, S-T-A-C-K-I-N-G-S-A-T-S. You're going to get $10. And our good friends at Owls Lacrosse is going to get $10. That's Owls Lacrosse. All right. Go to your local app store, download the Cash App, use the code Stacking Sats, get your $10, and send $10 to your good friends at Owls Lacrosse. Enjoy this episode. Long rip. I think it's a worthwhile one. You've had a dynamic where money's become freer than free. If you talk about a Fed just gone nuts, all, all the central banks going nuts. So it's all acting like safe haven. I believe that in a world where central bankers are tripping over themselves to devalue their currency, Bitcoin wins. In the world of fiat currencies, Bitcoin is the victor. I mean, that's part of the bull case for Bitcoin. If you're not paying attention, you probably should be. What is up, freaks? Welcome back to Tales from the Crypt. Been a long week. A lot going on. We're here for, for a rabbit hole recap. We did not get a stimulus package in on Monday. Matt and I decided there was not enough news to talk about between last Thursday and this Monday. So we ex- uh, decided to extend uh, the break between rabbit hole recaps from three days to seven. And luckily we did. We got a lot to talk about. Long Some list good, today, Matt. Uh, central planning there. We also had two two awesome episodes for you, freaks, uh, this week. Uh, yeah, so immediate no open of content. Yeah, there's incredible op- episodes, and shout out to immediate. I mean, we're going to talk about it later, but her comics, and I'm humbled. I'm sure you are too that uh, we were the inspiration for this week's comic, which uh, the topic for this week's comic. Gotta love mempools. Yeah, mempools, not the mempool, mempools. If you read the comic, you know what we're talking about. Um, yeah, man. Long week. Uh, happy it's Thursday. Happy we're drinking. I laid off the booze earlier this week, so happy to have a glass of wine with you. You're drinking whiskey. I'm drinking wine. Scotch Scotch today. What a surprise. Ooh. What kind? Keeping it fresh. McAllen 12. Who would have guessed? Ooh, dicky. Um, yeah, let's jump right into it. We got a long list. I feel like it's going to be a long rip. Uh, speaking of rips, the price of Bitcoin ripped yesterday. Right now, we're hovering at around $8,833, according to Clark Moody's dashboard. 
we ripped above 9,000, way above 9,000 to like 9,300, I believe, at some point yesterday or earlier this morning. I think we hit 94. Really been... Do we? Yeah, I mean, I'm in it for the tech, though, so I, it's not like I know that. I am, too. I'm just in it uh, to see as many Vegeta memes as possible, so as long as we're hovering up and below and up and below, I got I got a good amount of Vegeta memes last night, and it seems that they'll be back. Uh, American HODL. Uh, wartime hodl saying that we'll never go below 8,000 again. We'll see if that holds true, uh, especially as we not approach worth, the halving here. Not worth the mention. <laughs> um, we are approaching the halving. I believe two days ago, uh, we, we fell below 2,000 blocks uh, until the next halving, and right now we're sitting at around, we, we are sitting at, I'm looking at what block we're at, we're 1,688 blocks away from the halving. And it looks like it's been pushed back to May 12th. It was May 11th for the last couple of weeks. And that is because um, we had a difficulty adjustment. Last time went up 8.5%, but right now we're 312 blocks away from the next adjustment. And that's estimated to be a negative 2.4% uh, downward adjustment. Blocks are coming in. Uh, around 10 minutes and five seconds right now. So a little bit above the target. Uh, May 12th looks to be the halving date as of right now, but that is obviously subject to change. Uh, it's subject to the hash rate that's on the network between now and then. Um, what else we got here? Tor nodes, 42.2%. There's officially over two that they make up 42.2% of uh, public lightning network capacity. Uh, there's over 2,000. We're sitting at 2,002 tour nodes, and the total capacity of public lightning nodes is 959.6 Bitcoin. Pretty healthy. Fees are spicy. Fees, fees have been spicy. They've been spiking. I saw, uh, so the fees versus subsidy reward has been hovering around 1% or 2% recently. Right now it's at 9.23%. Um, so block rewards are. Uh, made up uh, around 10% with fees, which is which is good to see. Interesting to see. Um, what else can we talk about here? Coinbase went down yesterday. That's usually a good sign. Yeah, it did. It did. A lot of good signs. So, yeah, we don't talk about price pumps a lot here, but who cares? There was a what, – what do we rip? <laughs> we talk like about that. 20, we, we ripped pretty hard yesterday. It was a, it, I mean, it was a sleeping beast. I actually tweeted out a couple of days ago. I could – I could smell volatility on the horizon, and uh, Mother Bitcoin did not disappoint. We ripped some nads off yesterday. Um, and yeah, I mean, I was pretty busy, so I wasn't paying attention all day, but uh, I was surprised to see that we went well over 9,000. 9, yeah, there was a lot of FOMO in the air yesterday. Yeah, so Coinbase goes down as it does during these times of high, uh, high demand and high volume. If you're on Coinbase, ooh, Thank God we're bringing this up. Uh, before I get into what I want to bring up, if you're on Coinbase, just know they've had pretty piss poor uh, uptime in the past during times of high volume and volatility, uh, specifically when they ninja launched Bcash in December of 2017. Uh, they launched that and then immediately crashed. And some people say they manipulated the price of Bcash. I might be partial towards that, but um, I want to consider them. Uh, the most reliable exchange on the market when it comes to the ability to buy, sell, or move Bitcoin uh, for Bitcoiners out there. Fuck Coinbase. 
Um, well, before we get to it, I need to bring this up because uh, this DM from yesterday made me aware that this is happening. Uh, a freak reached out, uh, not going to name names, obviously, and asked me what the best hardware wallet for him to move his coins off of Robinhood would be. Uh, and I had to let him know. I had to let him know that he would not be able to move any coins off Robinhood because Robinhood does not allow you to take possession of keys at the end of the day. So if you're out there and you're you think you're you're buying Bitcoin on Robinhood, you're really just buying a derivative of the price action. It's you're an just IOU. exposure to the price movement. Yeah. Not well, your it's keys, not even an IOU. Not your coins. They don't. They don't owe you any Bitcoin. They just. But they owe, owe you, you the, the fiat cash. equivalent of the Bitcoin. Yes. Exactly. So I had to, the unfortunate um, duty of telling him he had to liquidate his his Robinhood Bitcoin exposure and, and buy on another exchange. So if you're out there on Robinhood and you think you're actually buying Bitcoin and you're going to be able to take possession of that one day, you are mistaken. You're just getting uh, exposure to the price of Bitcoin on Robinhood. That's a good PSA. I always forget about that. It's fucked up. Yeah. Yeah. I felt bad. But hey, it's better to learn now than... Uh, if you if we run to crazy numbers and you're like, what the hell? I actually don't have Bitcoin. Um, let's just go back to that price pump uh, for a sec. So I think it's a it's a while these feelings are fresh for people, it's a good time to take a reflection. Like if you were trading and you got fucked completely because of this run up was like 12% yesterday. I think it went up. Um, Qual rip. Yeah. This is why I personally dollar cost average because I don't worry about any of it. I just dollar cost average on a constant basis, you know, edge out that volatility um, and just, and just hold it for the long term. That's the plan. Yes. This is the best advice. And I'll give you a little anecdote. Last summer, when Bitcoin's price was very volatile, it was going up, when it was running to 14000 Um, By the way, some people think they have more evidence that Plus Token played a very heavy role in last year's price volatility. Regardless of that, I got a little cocky. I thought I was going to be able to trade some. I put a few sats on an exchange thinking I was going to trade and uh, got my nads ripped off in the volatility. It's not worth it. Even people have been around, like myself, forever, not forever. What the fuck? I've not been around forever. <laughs> <laughs> Even people have been around for a good enough time. He rolled amount his of time eyes and, at himself. And, uh, and uh, I just, I'm someone who preached DCA, dollar cost averages by consistently on a consistent basis. Even I get the temptation to trade, and I'm always proven that I'm a shit trader. So just 99% take my advice. 99% of people will lose more money if they try and actively trade, and it's more stressful. Yeah. Like one percent yeah. will fucking clean up, um, but it's it's fucking difficult. And with Bitcoin, it's you know, it's it's even more cutthroat because it, it's such it's so volatile, uh, and it just has these ten. It's so over like, there's so much leverage going on that we're gonna see like these crazy rips, right? Because people are getting that, margin called in both directions. Yeah, if you and if you combine the ability to leverage these trades with the relative illiquidity of Bitcoin, uh, because of its market cap only being 
a hundred probably like 150 billion now after the price rip but it may seem like a big number to a lot of people but in a market's perspective it's really really not that big especially when you take into consideration uh, the amount of bitcoin that is sitting in cold storage and has been lost it sort of reduces that that available liquidity even more yeah i mean bitcoin is extremely fucking scarce so um and when price goes up people stop selling it's like it's just an interesting psychological thing um they want to ride it and the opposite happens on the down um but yeah i mean look it was good to see i think uh you know Bitcoin did take that big ass hit down to whatever it was like 3,800. In this environment, it's good to see it recover from that, uh, like slow and steadily. So we'll see what happens next. But it's still very much, you know, it seems like it's it's very much correlated with uh, the stock market. Um, And I'm still surprised that we haven't seen that headline, the Fed saves Bitcoin for mining death spiral. I feel like <laughs> it's a perfect headline. It really is. But that's actually funny you bring that up. Like, what is causing this? And I don't like to, you know, I never, I have in the past, but now I know better going forward that I'm never going to attribute a single action or narrative to Bitcoin's price movement. But it is interesting to see the timing of the the stimulus checks being being released to the market and uh, Bitcoin's recent price appreciation. And I think it's decoupled from stocks a little bit. Like it doesn't like follow yeah. perfectly. I like um, rolled my eyes when I said correlated, but in yeah. this short time frame, it you know it seems like if Bitcoin's pumping in the morning, uh, you know, to, yesterday wasn't the case. Uh, but the the stock market has been pumping, right? And Bitcoin kind of wasn't. Uh, and now it, you know, now it did it like played catch up a little bit. Um, yeah. but you know, we have, we have the having, uh, we have the stimulus and then we have like the whole macro environment all happening at the same time. So, yeah. uh, you know, who the fuck knows? There, None of this is price. Ru- no. And there's rumors in telegram chats of, uh, prominent fund managers in the space saying that friends from another life and in the global macro macro world are seriously considering Bitcoin and asking how to get it. Um, so I think that's the other thing. I think, uh, the job that Rao Paul, um, Dan Tapiero and those traditional fund managers, even though as Bitcoiners, a lot of people may not agree with everything they say. I think they're definitely beneficial in educating that institutional, uh, money type investor that may dump into this. And now that I think they're ser- seriously considering it as a hedge against uh, macro uh, factors turning the turning for the worst. Um, so that could be a factor. Who knows? We, again, there's no one source for it. There's more buyers than sellers. That's actually what's happening at the end of the day, where those buyers are coming from. Cash app just rolled out their DCA function and up there, um, weekly buys from ten thousand to a hundred thousand dollars. So maybe that's helping a little bit. Who knows? Um, that's definitely disclaimer. <laughs> disclaimer: their their sponsor. This is definitely not it. But I do like I do like the idea of uh, automatic DCA like setting a floor. Yeah. 
No, it's just going to make it. I mean, like we, we've talked about this on the in the past on the podcast. Your our boy, um, your boy, who's become my boy. Um, he said it and forget it on Coinbase and literally forgot it for for quite a while. And oh yeah, and, exactly. Yeah, it just adds so up. It takes happen. out even more stress from it. It's just like automated. It's basically like you've allocated a portion of your of your paycheck to to Bitcoin. It's like you get to get paid in as much Bitcoin as you want. Yeah, it's uh, and it's again, it's set it and forget it mentality. If you literally forget it, you'll be shocked at what you come back to see if you if you don't well, look at it for quite some time i mean past both performance doesn't uh it's not indicative future of future results, results but it probably will work it has worked out well historically there you go it has it has um bitcoin again, may not pump forever but it was designed to pump forever see oh i like there's a key difference i like where we're going here marketing mats at it again the marketing wizard <laughs> The meme wizard. The meme wizard. Fuck marketing. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for painting you with that brush. Uh, the meme wizard is is much. Uh, no, but I intentionally. It's when I first said it. That's what I I said. It was designed to. I intentionally said it that way originally, but it's been perverted a little bit. I did yeah. have some people misquote me. Yeah, and apparently, if you believe in citadels, you're not very humble. I well, I love not so fast, so I'm not gonna. No, I love him too. Yeah, he called me out. He said citadels aren't humble. But localism is humble. It's the same thing. It is very humble. It's the same thing. And I and we've been preaching it on this podcast for quite some time. Localism is the way to fix these problems. Uh, at least one of the ways in which we can begin to fix these problems. Look to your neighbor, look to your friend, look to people you trust, pick them up. Start small in lacrosse. When you're getting back to a fast break, we have this concept saying, get in the hole and then move out from there. To fix this problem, we got to get in the hole of localism, and then we can move out and fix the problems of the world. All right? This is a, a concept <laughs> applicable to many aspects of life. Well, we here, Marty. Um, before we get into all the topics we're going to talk about, we did get a shout-out this week. Uh, sh- very unique shout-out. We got sent a text file via our shout-out uh portal uh, that i had to decrypt via keybase and here's what it says because it was it was long hello uncle marty uncles marty and matt been enjoying the hell out of the pod lately super bullish a note on bitcoin citadels if citadels are for initiated bitcoiners we also need to plan for and build more bitcoin embassies red pill pre-coiners and guide prepare that slash prepare them for the citadels i'm looking into creating this in my area and plan to guide pre-coiners to content like yours. Keep it up to the freaks. DCA on BISC. It's not that hard. Use your own private keys. Run your own node. Stay humble. Stack sats. From in farm at ICIST. I-N-P-H-A-R-M-A-T-I-C-I-S-T. Some awesome. citadel uh, advice there. Yeah. I l- I've, always liked, I've, I've always liked the Bitcoin embassies. Um, I they went on Wall Street for a while. It was the first one, probably. Yeah, and like I've seen them traveling. Um, I I mean, there, there's the one in Montreal. Uh, there was another one. Where did I just I just saw one? <sighs> Amsterdam, maybe. There's one in Berlin. 
Yeah, it was just it was just cool when I especially when I was like an early Bitcoiner, it just like added it added like a physical aspect to it. You know, like I was I didn't, didn't know anything about like the Bitcoin community or anything, but like I was just like walking down the street and it was like there. It's like whoa. Didn't you take your dad to one? No, I I was in Montreal and I think it was I mean it must have been Montreal. Um and they have a Bitcoin embassy there. And we were walking down the street with my parents because we were there for a wedding. And they, we saw the Bitcoin embassy. And that was like the first time they thought I wasn't like a crazy person for being obsessed with Bitcoin. Because they were like, oh, it's a physical presence. It yeah. must be legit. Like we're in Canada but, and it's here. Let's from like, what do your parents think about your Bitcoin obsession these days? They think it's here to say. I mean, I they're supportive. My my dad's I, my dad's obsessed with it now. I've completely read so, them. So is mine. My dad texted me yesterday. Price is ripping. I was like, ah. But I have this vivid memory. I don't know why. Uh, when I was still in college, getting picked up from the airport and driving back to my house outside of Philly, it was just me and my dad. And I'm like sitting in the passenger seat and like an asshole. I have my feet up on the dashboard. And I'm just like, dude, this Bitcoin thing, man. I can't stop thinking about it. He's like, what are you talking about, man? Like, what is this? I was like, it's going to change the world. But I remember that, like being a young Bitcoiner and trying to explain this to to my dad particularly. And just like, you think I'm like Pepe, Sylvia, Charlie, Charlie Day right now. Imagine me like 10 or 10 years ago. What the fuck is going on, Marty? Like, why do you think you got into Bitcoin this early? Like six, seven years ago, um, trying to explain it to my dad was, uh, it, it was an interesting time. And it's funny to see, uh, how, how his perspective has changed on all this since then as well. I mean, that's just like the Bitcoiner experience, right? Like you're just shilling it all the time to people and they usually disagree with you and then they come around eventually or they yeah. don't. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I have like this photographic visual memory and not my memory is not always photographic, but I can just remember exactly what was going on and where like the intersection of where we had the conversation. It's weird. It's random, random uh, tidbit from Marty there. Into the topics. Enough about our lives. You we guys came sh- here for Bitcoin information. We have a shit ton of topics. Yeah. This is going to be a long app. Uh, let's start with Bitcoin Core HWI. It's been upgraded uh, after the Trezor firmware update sort of borked the integration with HWI. So now um, compatibility with Trezor firmware 1.90 and 2.3.0. Uh, excuse me, 1.9.0 and 2.3.0 has been fixed. Um, so they're compatible with um, Trezor again, HWI is in Bitcoin Core. Um, and there's a couple other fix, fixes there for hardware wallets, better error. Obviously, it's a hardware wallet interface. So better error handling for some Bitbox 01 errors and fixed misnamed fields and cold card enumerate. Um, shout out to Andrew Chow, who released that 10 days ago. Bang bang. And then did you, you see this piece by Laurent? Yeah, yeah. So I was just about to say I've been going through it. It's very interesting. Very interesting. The nuance with pay joins and the implementations and a discussion about uh whether there should be uh a 
standard across wallet implementations or if that should be avoided. You so can let's, um, be marked. Yeah, you can be more articulate on this. So jump into it. Yeah, let's let's unpack this a bit. Uh, so first of all, Laurent is awesome. Um, he's he is is the man behind OXT, uh, the Block Explorer. Uh, just fantastic dude. Always has really insightful thoughts about privacy. Um, anyway, so he wrote this thing about PayJoin, and he also used the term deception tools, which I just really like as a term. Uh, it's got a nice ring to it. And the whole idea is that something like PayJoin is meant to appear like a regular transaction. Um, and you're not supposed to be able to you know, tell which input belongs to, to which user. But there's a, there's a lot of nuances there, right? Because <laughs> all these wallets have different fingerprints. Like the way they handle transactions um, make them unique in the sea of transactions on the blockchain. So if you, if you have a pay join from two different wallets, it might, you might still be able to tell, uh, you know, that first of all, that it's a pay join because it, it has two unique inputs, uh, from different users and which user is which, right? Yeah. And then you get into a whole nother, layer of complexity when you consider the fact that the chain analysis company is sort of at an advantage because they're doing more chain analysis and, and have a better ability to, to sort of identify who's doing what and implementing these pay joins in what way, whereas, and they could slip up along the way and it won't really make much of a difference. But if you slip up as, um, as a individual user, you're, uh, you're punished much more severely than a in the chain analysis company is when they slip up. Yeah, I mean, you can be private 99% of the time and the 1% fucks you. Um, so he goes through some scenarios. We could have wallets um, that attempt to look the same, right? Uh, and the other, the other option is you could have wallets that do like random fingerprints, so they try and like mimic other wallets and they just keep changing what there is. But that's like a heuristic in itself. Um, and the issue with the other, the, the problem with making all wallets have the same standard fingerprint is because the reason the fingerprints are different is because they're adding different features and whatnot. So if you, if you try and standardize that, like it just completely screws up the innovation flow like around the wallet space. Yeah. It's like, again, talking about nuance and complexity. It's, uh, it's a whole can of worms. And so that's what Loren tried to say, like thinking that P2EP pay joins um, will solve privacy on Bitcoin alone is, is probably a bit naive. Um, so he's just trying to highlight where the pain points are and what we should be paying attention to, to, to make these technologies better. So um definitely gotta check it out i love like the old school nature of uh of like the the um packaging of of this article whatever you want to call it um just pure html roman numeral font threaded though it's like threaded but yeah. not which is funny 
but I, I enjoyed it. It was good. I enjoy it. He, he always puts out good content. Yeah, I mean, Laurent. So, I mean, like, my take is, right, that I, I think even if we have cross-wallet pay joins, like, that's still, that's still probably a net benefit. It's just, like, ups the cost, right? As long as you just – I mean, you, I, I was already operating on the assumption that you should just assume you get no privacy improvement from pay join. Yeah. No, I think – I think I can do nothing but be a net positive. Or I don't want to say that. That's too much of a well, there's a negative of a declarative. There's a negative that I think we talked about it last week. But you know, you're giving if you're a public BTC pay shop, you're giving insight into your UTXOs if you accept pay join transactions. The UTXOs in your in your hot wallet, your pay join wallet. So you are giving there is that that privacy component to it. But is that only leaked to individual customers? Yeah, but if you're a BT, as as you know, if you're a BTC pay server merchant, you could get a lot of invoices that don't get paid. Yeah. And those people are looking at your UTXOs. So actually it's farther down the list, but BTC pay server was updated this this uh yeah now we should just segue right into that yeah and when the main part of the update is that it labels it auto labels your utxos because now they have coin control in there um and it'll tell you if the utxo has been exposed to someone through pay join so if someone is just going through all of your utxos then you'll know at least um i think like probably the best flow there, right? And and this is what I was trying to say earlier, um, is that they're complementary. They they don't PayJoin doesn't replace these coordinated coin join services, right? So like, you're after you, you know your hot wallet when you empty your hot wallet, your PayJoin hot wallet, then you should go you should go through Whirlpool. Like that's my thought process, right? Like. That, that's honestly without you even telling me that would have been my natural flow of things as well. And then you reduce, then you reduce your, yeah, I mean, but it's, it's not, it's not great. And that is one of the issues you don't have, uh, which is what, you know, is, is the other type of pay join, right? Is, is if it's just between you and a friend or something, you're in person, you're doing that, you know, this. it's not like a malicious entity that's just like hitting you, hitting you, hitting you, hitting you. Yeah, unless your friend's a double agent, you should be able to trust them. Uh, but don't trust anybody. But anyway, we're yeah, going to... Do we have pay joint enabled on our BTC pay yet? Uh, we do not. I've been working on it all week. Um, I keep getting an error message. I'm working with DJ to figure out what the hell's going on. Okay. And so it has something to do with the mnemonic seed. Um, we'll get at first, I was getting a 505 at... First, I was getting a 505 error, but today I've got a new error message, so I'm trying to work through it. Again, Freaks, I'm not the most technical person in the world. Um, I have been trying to do it actively every day since we met last week. Um, That's the other thing. So this BTC Pay update fixes a bunch of things. Um, The update that came with PayJoy and all that, incredible stuff, but it also borked a couple things. Like L&D wasn't working for us for a week or two. Um, that is currently back up because of this latest release. So, um, so the bug fixes they fixed, or with 
LND uh, 0.9 and above invoices were immediately transitioning as partially paid. So they fixed that. Um, successful pay join in P2SH, P2W, PKH result in uh, overpaid invoice. So they fixed that. So they're just fleshing out a lot of bugs. There's plenty more in here as well. Um, but uh, come with the big version release bugs should be expected this is open source software um so happy to see that they're being highlighted and fixed even they they and if i'm going to be critical here they did mess mess up like the chronological order of the invoicing that's why we missed a couple of uh shout outs last week is because they were put to the bottom of the csv file and in, in the in the browser they're not even updating um so i'm sorry for missing some shout outs last week it was not me I was not being, uh, I did not know the look. I think I mentioned this. I did not know the look at the bottom of, of the CSV file, which is where they're getting dumped, but they're working on it. They're fixing it. Yeah, I'm still, I'm just still thinking about, I, I need to think more about the whole pay join exposing your, your UTXOs if you have a, have a BTC pay server shop. Like I guess you it doesn't just matter if, the if they produce in, if they produce invoices and don't pay them. Like it doesn't matter. They just go down your XPub key. Well, they're not gonna know your XPub, but they're gonna know UTXO. I know, but like how? Unless you combine with the with any UTXO that was sent to an address that an invoice produced. There's you a coordination know. period where you're coordinating which UTXOs you're gonna combine in the input side of the transaction. And at that point, the sender can see into your wallet, basically see UTXOs. Uh, and and that, would be sort of, that would be tranched. I believe the BTC pay implement, apologies freaks, I have not tried it yet. I believe the BTC pay implementation um, auto selects a UTXO but that UTXO is exposed to the sender. So a malicious person could keep hitting hitting uh, the invoices and getting new UTXOs, right? And then they can get an idea of what other payments you've received to your wallet, which UTXOs are yours, right? Which they wouldn't otherwise get. Yeah, it seems pretty bad. Um, yeah. I didn't really, I didn't think about that one, which is not great, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, gotta gotta highlight these pain points to fix them. So, fast. The idea of labeling them is a good first step. So now it says on BTC Pay, it says exposed to this this person. Yeah. Is there a way to only expose it after it's been accepted in a block? That probably doesn't make sense. This is a hot wallet that's segregated from your other funds, right? So you just like you, I think you just treat it as such, right? And you just don't keep like large amounts in it, and that that's how you kind of have to try and mitigate it. But I mean, maybe if there's, I I got to think it through. But maybe if you could select which UTXOs are available for pay join, but then you have then you have other heuristics that could show up, right? Like are the same UTX two UTXOs constantly inputs over and over again, like descendants of like then you connect that shit. Yeah, that's why you, the flow of mixing with a different coin join implementation after makes a lot of sense. Just to 
try to get as much privacy as possible. God damn. Because there are, I mean, just as a merchant on BTC Pay, the amount of unpaid invoices that are created is pretty insane. Well, um, you know, most people don't list their lightning node URI uh, or their, you know, their pub key at least on their website. So I have to, if I want to open a channel, I have to create a fake invoice. So like there's at least one fake invoice for me if I have to open a channel to someone. Yeah. And then what I find with our site, particularly because of DJ's work around on Shopify is people just test, test the Shopify flow just to test it like they don't plan on buying anything they just want to see how we did it and that that i think that might be like the greatest uh producer of unpaid invoices <laughs> the amount of shopify because it is a workaround the amount of shopify notifications i get a day of somebody just bought something with bitcoin and they really didn't buy anything um if you go to the btc paid server and look to see if it was paid um something we gotta fix they're teasing no, not you. fix just work through yeah teasing me I know I can tell by the names. The names are always like A S D J K L. Oh my god. It's it's uh somebody just testing it out. So uh Ministry of Nodes released a Ronin Dojo video. Um it was really well done. Uh I I really like all all of their guides. Uh that's Stefan Lavera and Catan. Um I hope I pronounced your name right. Uh great. Great guides. And I, I really, you know, the Ronin, it makes a lot of sense. Like, I think, like, this idea that if you're going to use a larger amount of funds in Whirlpool, um, it's good to have, like, just a, a dedicated device that does this one thing and purpo- it's, it's purpose for that one thing. And so, like, if you go, like, the pre-made, if you go the, the build-your-own route, the Ronin Dojo is a really good choice. And if, if you want a pre-built and you don't want to deal with any of that, uh, then I fucking still, I love my noddles. Shout out to the team at noddle. Shout out to, I mean, dojo. The noddle dojo is a great, a great product as well. Yeah. But the regular noddle also supports dojo and whirlpool and electrum. So they're both fantastic. And yeah. shout yeah. out to ministry of nodes. Fucking love your guides. Fantastic. And I'm trying to, so, so the whole idea here is, you freaks have to give me a break for being slow on my guides because Catan just dropped another great fucking guide. So he has Ronin yeah. out and he has my node. You can see both of his beautiful guides. So we link to the Ronin and then, you know, you can subscribe to his channel and see his other videos right through that link. Yeah. And then his counterpart, uh, at ministry of node, Stefan, well known around these parts. Who's that? Jealous Stefan. He uh, he got Jeff Dice on the podcast this week. The uh, he's the president of Mises, Mises, excuse me, uh, Mises dot org. Uh, they had a really great conversation in which Jeff disclosed that he is stacking sets monthly and uh, really described Bitcoin in a beautiful way uh, as, a, as a beacon of, of freedom in the digital age. And aren't his words exactly, but that's what I took from it. Uh, if you guys have not listened to that episode, go check it out. If you're an Austrian econ head. And that's, that's a huge episode and uh, a very, very good listen um, from somebody. I've been actually DMing Jeff to no avail. So I was like, ah, damn, Stefan got him. Yeah, that was a great conversation. Pun for you, dude. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, ministry, no, hey, our Australian friends, they take care of the 12 hours when we're sleeping. We take care of the 12 hours when they're sleeping, even though we don't sleep for 12 hours. You know, there's a little, there's time when they're sleeping. We're not, we're sleeping and they're not. We just, we make sure the world is knowing about Bitcoin. I'm bummed. Or another. I'm bummed because we were supposed to meet each other. I mean, we met Stefan, but we were supposed to meet uh, Catan uh, at, at in San Francisco. Yeah. Yeah. It's all fucked, man. It's all fucked. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, we won't get into that yet. We'll save it for the end of the episode. So uh, I actually yesterday. Yeah, go. Yeah, I was gonna. I'll segue into this. We're both looking at the list, like how to segue. I uh, yesterday, I uh, I I had three podcasts yesterday. Ripped it. Um, first conversation was with Matt Alborg uh, from UsefulTulips.org, who's been writing a lot about. Bitcoin usage in Latin America and other uh, countries that we Bitcoiners like to think could get a lot of utility out of Bitcoin, but re- really don't know since we don't live there and we just have this Western view of the world. Matt has written two pieces in the last month, particularly about Venezuela and Argentina. The Venezuela article uh, was about the rolling blackouts that happened in Venezuela last year and how it affected local Bitcoin markets, not only in Venezuela, but across Latin America and even here in the States. So we dove into what what happened there uh, and uh, really got into the nitty gritty of how people are using uh, Bitcoin differently in Venezuela and Argentina. So again, he wrote that Venezuela article a month ago. Then earlier this week, I wrote about in the bent on Monday or Tuesday, I believe, uh, he wrote an article about Argentina and how their recent capital controls have led to an increased volume of Bitcoin buying and selling on local Bitcoins down in Argentina. And we got into the nature of the uh, the white dollar markets, the black dollar markets, and uh, the Bitcoin world in is white market the right term? the blue dollar. Yeah, I know. they call it the blue dollar, but like if you're talking from an economics perspective, is it white market and black market? I guess um, so. Regulated, yeah, regulated, yeah, regulated market. market. I think I, I'll, I'll, I say yes. Yeah, um, I should know this, but it's um, definitely black market. I'll tell you that much. Yeah, it's, de- it's definitely black market. So they have two dollar system or ways to access dollars in Argentina. One, which is you can hold dollars at Argentinian Argentine. I always mess that up. It's not Argentinian. It's Argentine. Uh, you can hold dollars at Argentine banks, but recently, uh, as political pressures and or the political tides are turning from one party to another, capital controls have been increased, and you can only access X amount of dollars, very small amount. It's like Robin uh, Hood Bitcoin. The, yeah, <laughs> very much so. Uh, yeah, a little better, actually. You can actually get some dollars, but it's only like $200 a, a month, I believe. Um, so black markets for U.S. dollars within Ar- Argentina have developed. Uh, we talked about money transmitters known as Cuevas in uh, Argentina, where they're basically taking Argentine pesos and converting them to dollars for people at a, a premium to what is the price on the white market. Um, and it's just infinitely fascinating. We also talked about India, what's going on there. He's actually writing, a, Matt's actually writing a paper on uh, Bitcoin usage in India. And it was very bullish after talking to him. He, Matt Alborg, it's, it's hard talking to you. You're Matt. And I'm like saying Matt in front of you. It's a good name. Too. It's, it's be, a good name. Yeah, it's a great name. Great name. 
I really respect the fuck out of that guy because he does like nitty gritty journalism. Like roll your sleeves up, get your hands dirty, hop on local bitcoins, see these orders, see the WhatsApp numbers that are being shared, the telegram names that are being shared, whatever information is being shared, reach out to these traders in these countries and have conversations with them to see how people are using Bitcoin in these countries. And he's finding out some very interesting stuff. And one thing on on this that I get took out of our conversation that he wanted to note and, and actually the traders that he was speaking to in Argentina or Venezuela, it was Venezuela made a point to make was they wanted him to know that yes, they use Bitcoin as a rail to move dollars, particularly and predominantly um, that a lot of them, most of them actually believe in Bitcoin long-term and hold some Bitcoin because they believe in the revolution of uh, Bitcoin as a digital currency separate from the state. And he, he said they, they asked him to put that part in his paper on Venezuela. Like they made sure, which I thought was pretty interesting. Fucking love Matt. This is the second time we've had him on TFTC. Yeah. The second time. So yeah, I wrote that bet on Monday and again, I think his his coverage gets underscored. Like Bitcoiners want to talk about, like, uh, how's Bitcoin being used? And he's actually like outside. Of, we know here in the West, uh, it's used as a savings vehicle and a speculative vehicle. Um, but how's it getting used in other parts of the world? And I think the use of Bitcoin as just a rail to move money in and out of other currencies is extremely useful and fascinating. So he released a piece on. Argentina, he had that analysis, so we have the link in the show notes for that. He also released the Kenyan P2P Bitcoin volume, which hit new all-time highs. Um, Ooh. When is the episode dropping? Tomorrow. I'm going to drop it tomorrow. Okay, so you know you should listen to that. Yeah. And Kenya, make sure you listen for the Kenyan piece, too. Um, I don't want to spoil too much of the episode, but uh, apparently one coin-like scams and plus token-like scams are... are pervasive around the world so um he 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 said that not all the the, not all the (coughs) volume but uh material amount of the volume experience there could be could be from um like one plus or one to or what was it one coin like scams yeah one plus plus is a is a phone company yeah um so check that out and speaking of exchanges, this isn't really exchange. This is like an Azteca-like service, Card Coins, sponsoring a core heard, developer. I've just have never you heard, heard of them years. Yeah. Oh, this surprised the shit out of me. So good for them. They had they had extra cash flow, and they decided to sponsor a Bitcoin dev. Well, you know, I think the real pot. Well, first of all, you know, appreciate them doing it. That's the stand-up move. I think the real takeaway here is that it's becoming really good PR to do it, which is a nice little incentive. You know, if, if you're a company that needs some publicity, maybe you should consider sponsoring your core dev. Sponsor your local core dev. They're doing like, if you do it, cool things happen. Like we said, we had a media on published that episode on, on, Tuesday, she's a core dev that's being sponsored by Zappo, and she's doing some pretty dope shit. And you know, if if you do this, you get a 
you basically get like a free ad read on the pod, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, Shout what is their website? Uh, Cardcoins dot something. Pulling it, Cardcoins dot co. There you go. Buy digital currency with gift cards. Never tried it. Don't know anything about them. Consider that. Convert your non-reloadable prepaid gift card into digital currency. I might do this. I've got like an Amazon card that uh, uh, has, uh, has some change on it that I could um, I could use here. I've got. Um, I had to text my wife to bring up wine. She's refilling my glass right now. Thank you. So it's a it's a five hundred daily limit, and you have to confirm your phone number. Five hundred daily limit, man. Eh. If you're just looking, if if you're okay, it's like fold almost. Oh no no, it's five hundred five hundred weekly limit. Thank, thank you, beautiful. Yeah, I'll, I'll get more. I'll take more. You getting refill over there? Yeah yeah, just got refilled. If you we give got, your ID, got, you get an eight thousand dollar weekly limit. If it's just phone number, it's five hundred. <laughs> I feel like this. I'm trying to think of the use case for this. Like, who would have eight thousand dollars worth of gift cards to dump into Bitcoin? No, I think you were right. I think it's like the Azteco model. Like, I think you buy the voucher, like at a store. That's what it is. Interesting. Well, anyway, kudos to them. Do we know who the uh, the core dev is? Was it Hanato? Let's give him or her a shout out. Um, Hebisto, excuse me. Um, Stepanov. Stepanov, yeah, Hebisado, Hebista. I'm butchering this name right now. Um, yeah, quit it. Or so he's not the one getting the money. I'm just misreading this quote in this Lee Lee Quina article. Uh, Stepanov, let me control F this. Yeah, Hanadi Stepanov. I was right. Uh. Yeah, he goes by his Hibasto. All right, this is where I'm getting confused. All the Anon names. <laughs> Mixing your real name with your Anon name is really confusing me. So Hanadi, I was right originally, and I was right the second time. Um, he was in university. He quit his job, or he was working at a university, quit his job, uh, and is now getting paid to contribute to Bitcoin Core by uh, Coin Cards. It's his full-time Shout job Coin now. Cards. Yeah. Cool. Um, Let's see more of I'm that. Trying to think what, I'm trying to think what Hanadi does specifically, like what he works on. Yeah, he's making sure Bitcoin Core will run on many different platforms in a safe way, um, contributing to the peer review. I think he's he focuses on peer review um, specifically. Can you use so all now I can put can a get. face to a name. I can see his avatar in my head now. I know who it is. It always takes me a while. I, I really just go off Twitter avatars usually, and now I can see his avatar in my head. I can put a face to a name. Marty. I think he's just doing an intense review. I uh, Yes, I agree. Avatars are the way to keep track of people. Um, did you see this cold card kitchen? I did. It's pretty dope. It's in beta. It's be- somebody... Like I'm trying to understand, did he just fork a caravan and sort of add yeah. it in? Yeah, how cool is that? 
permissionless innovation. Sure. You're just like caravan doesn't have cold card support. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna fork, fork it in and call it cold card kitchen. So now you could do yeah, multi sig so, through the caravan interface with cold cards. But but it's a pretty sleek. It, it's it's very it, much beta. He says not to use it with with actual funds. With yeah. any no, don't use it on testnet only. Uh, Kevin Mulcrone at K K A Y B C B E S E E on Twitter. K A Y B E S E E. Kevin Mulcrone on Twitter. He's the one who did this. Put the team on his back. Said, "Hey, I'm gonna fucking try this out." Again, it's only in beta. Do it on testnet. Or just um, like usually, I don't like testnet. Just use like a, like a little bit. Like what, what, like why? I don't know. I'm gonna get some shit for saying I don't like testnet, but I just you know use twenty dollars worth of Bitcoin. What's the worst that can happen? You lose the twenty. That twenty dollars could be worth quite a bit in the future. You know. So go buy some more. I'm going to say, hey, learn how to use Testnet and figure it out. Go to a Testnet faucet because somebody send you some Testnet coins. But then you have like all the Testnet shit you got to deal with. Who wants to deal with that shit? It's not that hard with cold card. You just literally hit Testnet. Yeah, but sometimes like, aren't, like the confirmations are like slow or they like, like are there, aren't there like reorgs and stuff that happen? And I don't know. You gotta get you gotta yeah. get to a faucet. Like you can't like just buy testnet coins. You gotta ask yeah, you gotta, a buddy. You gotta for hold your hand out. Please, sir, send me some tech testnet coins, please. <laughs> Whatever it's out. Speaking of cold card, uh, they just released new firmware version two, which comes with a really dope feature where you can uh, encrypt your passphrase on an SD card, um, so you can keep that out of your wallet and. It just adds an extra layer of security. Well, so right now, you have to re-enter your passphrase every time you use your cold card. Uh, by design, the whole idea of a passphrase is it's it's a secret that's not stored on the device. So if the device gets compromised, they still have to brute force your passphrase. Um, and then the second beauty of passphrases is that you can have unlimited different passphrases, and each opens a different wallet, so you can go fucking crazy. Uh, so with this, it encrypts the SD card. It it encrypts your passphrase onto the SD card, um, and I and my understanding, I think it's just like completely like that SD card becomes your passphrase. Uh, so you can't move it off the SD card, and you can't store other things on that on that SD card. And when you have it in, it. Um, or maybe maybe you can store other things on it because how did you move the PSBTs? So you can store, but you can't move the actual encrypted file, and it's linked to that. It's linked to that that cold card because it's encrypted with the cold card and the pin. So the idea is, when you have to access your funds, you need to have the SD card in the specific cold card, and you need the pin, and then you can access your funds. So if you separate them similar to how Trezor did on their previous firmware, um, then you can't access it. But with Trezor, they added like a third secret. With this, they just, never... he's encrypting the passwords. So just to be, so I understand this completely. You can just anchor the file, the encrypted file, on that particular SD card and I can't move off it? Yeah, I don't understand... Um, 
I don't I don't understand what he means by that. But he said it can't be moved. You cannot copy the file to another card. So maybe it corrupts it or something. Interesting. But I've never heard of that. But the important thing is it's it's encrypted with a secret that's on the cold card plus your pin. So it's anchored to that it's 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 anchored to that cold card. It can't be used in another cold card. You still need to back up your password separately if you need to restore your seed to a new cold card to recover your funds and you need to restore your seed and passphrase, you're going to need your passphrase separate. But it adds like this interesting like two-factor type of situation, right, where you can keep the SD card somewhere separate from your cold card. You put them together, you plug it in to power, and you, you enter your PIN and you're good to go. Yeah. Always innovating over there, cold card. Um, and on top of that, they've got a couple of other things. You can export a generic JSON skeleton file, not aligned with any particular desktop or mobile wallet, but useful for any such integrations. It includes XPUB, uh, needed for two, uh, P2PKH and P2WPKH, which is Segwit, and P2WPKH, P2SH, Wallach, Wallach, Wallets. Um, <laughs> and then they have enhancement of signing a text file from micro from the micro SD card. If you specify a derivation path that starts with M slash 84, um, indicating that they're following a BIP 84, uh, for SegWit addresses, which is just more useful, get more, more visibility into your derivation path, which is important. Um, and I know after our conversation with Rodolfo, they're working on some pretty cool stuff beyond this. Um, so, be on the lookout for more hardware. Make sure you update your firmware if you uh, are, run, are securing funds using the cold card. Um, yeah, check them out. This is pretty cool too. Not pretty cool. It's just whatever. Uh, LND announced their version 0.10 beta, which brings multi-path payments, PSBTs, uh, on-chain fees with a new anchor commitment format, and some developer uh, improvements. And then they're actually... Improving privacy too, uh, making it possible to deploy LD and Tor more safely together. And they've added, uh, it's a pretty big support for deploying watchtowers via Tor hidden service, which seems like a pretty big deal to me. Yeah. And I mean, the other big one is multi part, multi path payments, or are they calling it multi part? I think it keeps switching. No, it's multi path. Multi path payments is fucking massive for privacy. Um, yeah. Yeah. So you just pull sats from different channels. Um, yeah, because think about that, it, no. right? Like, just like at a high level, when you think about trying to do like active lightning surveillance, it matters which nodes you go through, right? Like, let's say you, you pop through two nodes. If those two nodes collude, then they can see where the payment came and went to, right? But what if that payment was split between five different paths. Then all of a sudden, even if it's just two hops per path, that's 10 nodes that need to collude instead of. Yeah. And the receiver only knows the last hop of each path that was taken. Correct. Yes. Yeah. The sender lightning is like way better for sender privacy than receiver privacy. It has a long way to go on receipt on the receiver side. I think. But as we talked with OpenNOMS, 
could get better. Probably will get better. It's early. It's early, freaks. The stuff is getting better every day. Um, at least in my eyes. Uh, we already touched on it, but Amidi, who was on the podcast earlier this week, she's putting a very, um, putting in a very incredible effort to help educate uh, developers or Bitcoiners who just want to know more about what's going on at the protocol level with comics. And I think I alluded to in the beginning of the episode after we recorded last week with her, she was like, Hey, do you guys like the comic I did? Um, what was the first one about? It was about, uh, I gotta find it now. I think it was just like the inner workings of a transaction. Um, she asked us if I liked it. I was like, yeah, it's pretty dope. You should do another one. She's like, oh, what should we do? I was like, oh, we, we just talked about mempools. Yeah, the, tran- the first one was about uh, transaction downloads on Bitcoin's P2P network. So how nodes communicate with each other and decide whether or not to accept and download transactions. And we talked about uh, mempools on our episode with her. Uh, and so after when she's like, what should I do next? I was like, yeah, I mean, there is this huge misconception in the Bitcoin world that there is a mempool and it's called the mempool. But as you've learned, if you listen to that episode, each node has its own mempool and, uh, it's very nuanced. And so she made a comic that sort of describes how a mempool works and how it decides to accept or how it decides to organize transactions and then, Uh, send them to be accepted in blocks and i think it's just a very good way to learn especially if you're a visual learner what i really like about this comic format is like you can just drop these like png files these these image files into like any messenger or twitter response or dm or anything right and it's like it's super convenient instead of dropping them a link which a lot of times you know you drop them a bigger link and they just they don't really, maybe they click it or they don't really go through it properly. But if you can just have like a nice, concise little comic and you just drop it in there as response, like people take it really, you know, really a lot better, I think. Yeah. You just click on the image and you, you uh, pinch scroll in and you just start hovering around. It's well, uh, no, even better if it's simple enough that you can just, and her comics are pretty good at that is like, you don't even have to like do the pinch zoom thing. You just got it, you know? Um, like if it's like, I don't know, it, you, you want to strike a balance between simple and too simple, uh, you know, like simple, but not, not too complicated, simple and too simple, simple and not too complicated. Yeah. I mean, it was well received by the developer community specifically. I think they were like, Whoa, this is a great way to learn. I saw, um, the, his name's escaping me right now, but the, founder and creator of uh, LN Markets commented on it, I believe. Um, Romain Rufal, uh, he commented on it, I believe. Jonas from, or not him, who else? Whatever, a couple developers commented on it. It seems like anybody who's a visual learner, this is a good way to learn. Yeah, I dig it too. Um. We you sk- put this one in. I read like half of this. What do we skip? Oh, the OXT research report. Yeah, it's fucking good. I, yeah, it's a, it's it's they're trying a new business model here. It's, it costs a hundred dollars, 
Um, but it's going to be free in 45 days. Uh, but they tracked the the North Korean cybercrime group, the Lazarus, Lazarus group. Uh, and they, because they had the addresses because they were put on the OFAC sanction list. Are you allowed to disclose what they found? Or are they waiting for the 45 days? Um, well, I guess... I wasn't paying a hundred dollars for that report. I wasn't that. Uh... Yeah, I mean, without like completely destroying their business, uh, because I do think that's kind of a cool idea um, to release it for a, and it's like you pay in Bitcoin, right? Um, and then you do release it for free eventually, which I think is like a, just a really nice balance. So I will try and respect that um, to a degree. Uh, so, but they, the Lazarus group used both chip mixer and wasabi. Um, so the, the OXT research is mostly done by Ergo is my understanding, Ergo BTC. Um, and obviously he uses OXT, uh, for his actual analysis of the chain and KYCP.org, um, which are both the babies of Laurent who we talked about earlier in the episode, who is now part of the samurai team. I don't know if he was original. I don't think he was originally part of the samurai team, but now I'm pretty sure he's like completely part of the samurai team. Um, no, I think, uh, so he created OXT.me, which is that very ornate block explorer. I think naturally him and the samurai team came together via that. Yeah. But then I think like KYCP is his baby as well. I mean, KYCP's yes, back end yeah. is all OXT. Um, so anyway, Lazarus Group used three different techniques. They used custodial exchanges um, to, to try and obscure their chain funds. They used custodial exchanges. They used, obviously, it's actually four. They used peeling amongst themselves, just self-shuffling. Uh, they used this custodial mixer called Chip Mixer, and they used Wasabi. And then from there, they went to regulated exchanges. Um, and I'm tr- but like the, ske- the sketchier end of the regulated exchange- exchanges. So, Huobi? Yeah, I'm, let me just. Probably Huobi if it's coming from North Korea. If I'm going to talk about it, let me get it right. You know, Huobi, Huobi was definitely there. Um, finding page didn't. Give me anything. Uh, let's see. Will be. I think. I think they were all Asian exchanges. While I look for it, um, one of the interesting things they noticed was this heuristic that they were merging six outputs from wasabi mixes. So they would go into a wasabi mix and then they would combine six outputs that were all in the same mix. Um, and that allowed them to, okay, Wobi, OKX, Bitfinex, Bitflyer, and Fcoin. Your, yeah, the usual suspects. Right. 
But uh, those are all KYC or like KYC light. Yeah, Huobi's been liquidating the plus token scam Bitcoin as well. I I I mean, tinfoil hat Uncle Marty on right now. Like I think they're fronts for the CCP. Huobi specifically. Like well, how are they allowed to liquidate the plus token Bitcoin and not have any backlash when they're supposedly a regulated exchange? Well, I mean, Which, I think I mean, all all business in China is uh, just on different, you know, they're on the scale of a front for the CCP. It just depends where on the scale they are. Yeah. Um, anyway, this was a really interesting report. Um, I think people should support them and go go read it. But if not, definitely read it in 45 days. We will remind you then. Uh, they just, Ergo just does great work. The visualizations are awesome. And that's good. the thing I love about OXT.me is the visual visualizations that exist on uh, the website. And so that's how I got introduced to Laurent was, gosh, it had to be like two or three years ago at this point when he was doing research on the spam attacks of tw- the summer of 2015 and early 2014, I believe, um, sort of trying to dissect those. And his tool just provides beautiful visualizations that really drive home the fact or drive home the activity that's happening on the network and particular activity uh, that's happening. Um, yeah, definitely yeah, so go support. They put approximately 4,500 Bitcoin through Wasabi since mid-December. What's their overall volume been? 4,500 since December. Wasabi. I'm trying to, I'm trying to say like who, who's getting partially oh, docs from wasabi I, i'm not i don't have that off the top of my head um and they put more than that into chip mixer they were actually able to follow some of the funds through chip mixer as well based on time How? analysis uh, that makes sense and also just like it seems like they just tried to put too much use too much at the same time, you know. Yeah. Big big deposits into chip mi- chip mixer at, at once instead yeah. of like waiting and being patient. It's funny that the people who need to be the most cautious are the least cautious, like the plus token guys and these these North Korean uh scammers as well. Just fucking dump as many bitcoin into this mixer as possible well, I mean, hope it comes out clean on the other side north, if you're like a vending machine north korean state hackers have a different threat model than other people right so you got to also consider that at the end of the day I, I don't think they really care if they get caught i think they just care if they can sell it before then yeah it makes sense right but then again they're going through all these Chinese exchanges like is the Ch- Chinese government working with them on the other side like yeah we'll okay this like plus token it happened with plus token that's what I'm saying maybe the sloppiness is just like a because they're just trying to do like some basic ass plausible deniability for the exchanges ah that um, makes sense oh yeah but I think I cut myself off because I found the exchanges one of the interesting things they found was they were merging these six outputs over and over again right and it was the same exact it was all in the same round. So what they're theorizing is that they were running six Wasabi clients. Um, so at any given point during those rounds, you would have 
you know, whatever your non-set was, six of them were these guys, so it was really reduced by five, right? Because they should just, they only really classify as just a single user. Um, yeah. And, you know, that's like the ultimate problem with all these implementations. This is what is a Sybil attack is, right? Is, is if you have, how do you stop one user from pretending they're multiple users? And the main way to prevent this is fees. Um, and in Jordan Market's case, also this fidelity bond idea. But also the idea is to try and make it as prohibitively expensive as possible for an attacker while keeping it within reach of an average user. Um, and actually, I since the Open Oms interview, by the way, if, if any of you freaks haven't listened to it, you should listen to both of the, the conversations we had this week. They were fucking great. But the open arms one focused a lot on join market, um, just a lot on privacy in general, but a lot on join market. And since then, I have listened to the Chris Belcher interview, um, that because that was like that was recorded like a week ago or something like that. And one of the ideas with fidelity bonds is the larger your fidelity bond, the bigger reputation multiple you get. So the idea is there's a slight incentive disincentive there to split up your funds among multiple instances because you get less bang for your buck, so to speak for it. Right. So an honest user that puts a larger fidelity bond, um, gets more reputation score than a dishonest user who splits up that fidelity bond among three instances to try and Sybil the mix. Um, so it doesn't, disincentivizes Sybils that way. It makes yeah, sense. it makes them more expensive. And that that's also with Whirlpool, with their transaction zero fee model, where the idea is the more you send in at any given time, the lower your percentage fee is, is the same idea of this disincentive, right? Where you're, if you're trying to do Sybil behavior and you're trying to run multiple instances, it should cost you more for the same amount of Bitcoin that you're putting in. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Anyway, everyone should, uh, I think everyone should read this. But, you know, if you want, just stay humble and just wait 45 days. Or support the team. I mean, they're doing hard work. Uh, yeah. But people have been going it. So can we, we've done that before, but we have people like Mr. Hoddle and Francis calling out Samurai. Like, are they, should we be worried about non-dojo rounds or people that aren't running dojo using whirlpool i think um look there's no way for us to verify the samurai guys are saying that the, the overwhelming majority of people are using dojo in whirlpool the overwhelming majority of whirlpool participants are using dojo um that checks out with my logic right which is i think that if you are providing liquidity to whirlpool um, 24 seven. So you're running Whirlpool's command line client on a dedicated device. Uh, and you presumably have a decent amount of Bitcoin, right? That you're, that you're running through there. You're, you're not also going to run a full node. Of course you're going to, most people are going to run anyone who's running 99% of people that run the Whirlpool command line are also going to run Dojo. They're just the same type of person. Um, so then the, but so, but the question comes down to, uh, does someone who's just like an average user who 
isn't going to run a node, or at least not yet, should they get privacy from people other than Samurai? And I feel like that's a resounding yes. Like, I think, like, most people use Trezor and Ledger, and they're sending all their transaction information to their servers on the clear net, right? Well, on Samurai, they're sending it through Tor to Samurai servers. So Samurai can tell uh, your transactions, but they can link your transactions to each other, but they can't link it to your IP. And if you go through Whirlpool, then Samurai can still presumably link your transactions if they wanted to, or if someone compromised their server. But an external observer on the blockchain can't tell, right? So imagine if I like, I got into a discussion with someone about this in DMs. Like, imagine if Ledger Live soon they, they soon in two weeks, you know, they they <laughs> they tell us they're gonna have full node integration. Uh, so that would be awesome into Ledger Live. Uh, but besides that point, let's say Ledger Live added like Whirlpool functionality, but you're still using Ledger servers. Like, is that ideal? Like, should you trust Ledger with that information? Like, no. But like, I still think that's a net benefit uh, to the to the user. At least they're not leaking as much information to the rest of the fucking world forever. Which that's what the Bitcoin blockchain is. It's a forever. It's a forever ledger. Uh, so like, there's nuance here, and I so I respect. That's where the samurai guys are coming from. They're coming from. You know, most mobile wallets don't have coin control. Most mobile wallets don't have Tor support. Most mobile wallets don't let you scan a QR code to connect your own full um, node or to your friend's full node. Uh, is there a way for them so, that they can prove that they wipe their logs every X nah, amount of blocks or something like that? You can't prove the lack of information. Yeah, that's true. You can never prove. Yeah. Look, if you run Dojo yourself, then, you know, and, and you go through a bunch of remixes, you go through some remixes or whatever, you reduce that risk. The idea basically would be like if, you know, four of the five people you, you are you are going through CoinJoin with in a round of CoinJoin, all are light, light users, right? And then Samurai presumably could isolate you or someone compromises their server could isolate you. Uh, like I think for most rounds that that's probably extremely unlikely just from a logic point of view. Cause we can't, you can't, like I said, you can't prove it. And maybe I also think like they built whirlpool so it can be integrated into other wallets and other wallets could take a cut of, of that whirlpool fee, um, like an affiliate cut if they integrated into their wallet. And in that situation, you would have other wallets holding XPubs as well. So you would have Dojo users, and then you would have Samurai holding some light client XPubs, and then you would have like Ledger holding XPubs, uh, right? So, so in, in the different mixes, like you would need them to collaborate. And like, let's say Ledger added it and Trezor had it and you know, a bunch of wallets added it, then it would it would also like split up that uh, that risk. That and risk. now, see yeah. with 
with wasabi, they use neutrino filters and then they pull it from P2P from the Bitcoin, the Bitcoin network, the actual blocks. Um, if you run your own node, you can pull those blocks from your own node. Uh, but the neutrino filter is what's alerting you. And the issue there is um, it's just it's too heavy for mobile. Like it's, it's a very difficult to implement that on mobile. Uh, so maybe someone will. But, you know, I, I think no power even said that he that he didn't think it was possible to implement it on no mobile. So. It is yeah. what it is. I Some, think that a user without a node should be able to access, right? If they know the trade-offs, like the trade-offs should be clear, but they should know the trade-offs. But as long as they know the trade-offs, like that's an option for them and, and they should have that accessibility and hopefully they'll graduate to a dojo at some point in the future. Yeah, no, I agree. I uh, got to get the trade-offs out there and to be fully transparent here, I'm waiting till I, I, I'm getting dojo downloaded. I'm waiting. I'm actually an initial block download right now on a node I just set up waiting for that to hit. That's like going to be one of the first things I do is Dojo Electrum server. Um, and then start running it through Whirlpool. Um, so I will let you freaks know. Cause I, I mean, not another straight up, like I have not used it yet. So I'm waiting. I'm yeah, a, I mean, a late like, adopter to all that's this That's exactly, that's the thing. Like I would never use without Dojo. Right. Yeah. And so so when people ask me, I tell them you should absolutely use it with Dojo. Like just like, and I honestly think like you should you should use it uh, with Whirlpool CLI, right? So you can have the twenty four seven just do it. But there's definitely like a class of Bitcoiners um, who either get paid Bitcoin uh, or they buy Bitcoin without KYC. And they load it onto their mobile wallet and they just, they just want to do a quick mix on their mobile wallet. They don't need 24 seven remixing. And like, that's that. And like, can samurai fuck their privacy? Like, yeah. And like, they don't care. And like, as long as that person knows what that process is, like what trade-offs they're making, like who am I to tell them that they can't do that? No, I agree. I agree. That's what we're here to try and walk you free through the nuance. A lot of nuance. Nuance may be the word of this podcast. It always is. It's like the the most used word on this podcast. Either that or particular. There's no place Pick, for uh, nuance on Twitter, so it just all has to come here. Yeah, that's true. Um, we've got, I mean, we're almost an hour and 20 minutes in. We are an hour and 20 minutes now. But we've got, oh. I, I got a lot, I got a lot more to talk about. I actually got another wait, 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 wine wait. refill walking in. Oh, okay. Ooh, we moved to Sancerre. Let's go. That's fantastic. Before we before we move on, I did reach out to Rodolfo. You can still use the SD card with with no. uh, PSBTs if you if you have the passphrase, the encrypted passphrase set up on it. You can still use it for your PSBTs. All right, boss. I'll be done later. Um, Marty's getting heckled over there. Like I just got heckled by my wife. Her voice is making it on the podcast. Going to be too lazy to track down where she came on. Um. All right, so Rodolfo confirmed that PSPTs are good to go. Yep. On the SD card. Yeah, I misspoke when I said that it reserves the SD card just for that file. 
All right, boss. Um, quick rip through the last two topics on the, or not the last two, um, just Bitcoin topics. Um, this actually, this one isn't a Bitcoin topic, so we'll put that behind this topic. Crypto cloaks. They came out with this dope product, the Honey Badger hidden box, uh, 3D printed product. Uh, they did it in collaboration with our good friend American Hoddle, I believe. Um, and it's basically just the, the Bitcoin honey badger, the wave or Dolfo has it on his hat, that, that patch, um, basically like a 3d printed desk box. They have wallets and stuff in there. I would only ever put a decoy in there. I don't know if, uh, somebody's coming to your house and they're looking for that, uh, honey badger, particularly they'll know that, uh, well, you think it seems trying to hide wallets in there. Too obvious, too obvious to me. I like the hidden box. I think it's cool. I think most people have no idea what that is. Uh, I guess it depends what your thread model is. I mean, you could put other oh. things in there besides uh, Bitcoin stuff. Maybe it's better for non-Bitcoin things. Yeah, I'm thinking a decoy wallet. That's what I'm thinking. Put like a decoy wallet in there. There you go. Somebody comes to rob your house. Yo, there's my treasure. Take it. It's yours. Leave my family alone. Hopefully they don't uh, listen to this podcast. <laughs> exactly. I read parts of this uh, this article See, this is like so New York. The New Yorker came out with an article dressing for the surveillance age. Uh, I like mostly hate here. the New Yorker, but every once in a while they have good pieces. What did you think about this piece? That was great. I think I, I find it an interesting topic. So they like went through like all the different uh, adversarial clothing options you can wear to try and disrupt mass surveillance, uh, particularly cameras, right? Face tracking and... And like human detection like, and stuff like that. You got like face makeup, uh, reflective gear, long, uh, long clothing, hats, mask. What's your go-to avoid surveillance outfit in your mind? Matt O'Dell's going to try to go in public and avoid surveillance or fuck up the facial recognition gods. What are you doing? You know, I, I... Well, so it's interesting. They had two different elements there, right? So they had the ones that are just supposed to give just bullshit fucking data, which like kind of reminds me of PayJoin, uh, like bullshit kind of data in mass just to corrupt their data sets. So like there's like a shirt that is like a shirt sweatshirt uh, with the same pattern. It's like different license plates. So those automatic license plate readers, if like a cop car drives past you with one of the automatic readers, it like registers like six different vehicles, but it's just you walking with the shirt. So like <laughs> it gets super confused. Uh, so like that's one tactic. And then they have like the tactic that uses different designs and stuff to make, to fool the camera into thinking you're not a person. Um, so like one of them they talked about was like they had a, uh, it looked like a traffic light, an abstract traffic light uh, in the neckline. And the idea was the computer, for whatever reason, was trained that if it saw a traffic light, like there's no way there's a human face above it. So they just didn't realize there was a human. But there's like these negatives, like if you hit it at a different angle and stuff like that, then all of a sudden it picks you up, right? And like it's one thing to test this stuff in a controlled environment. And then there's another thing to like go through the New York City subway system jostling with people and like try and maintain it uh so like from my point of view well first of all you know we're fucked 
like it's important to realize you know especially if you're in a big city like we're already fucked. There's cameras everywhere. They're tracking your phones. They're like all of our devices are owned. It's just about like reducing, reducing your attack surface uh, and making it just a little bit more difficult. Uh, so I think that's like the proper framing to come at it. But like, I think keep it simple, you know, like hoodie, hat, glasses. And now that is normalized mask. If it, and before for me, if it was winter mask, right? Like that's what you, that's what you do. And, and if you do that, it's like rather simple, right? No one thinks twice. You walk through the city with the hat glasses on, no one thinks twice. Um, so I, I think sometimes, you know, the simpler the strategy, the better. I agree. All right. Now we're going to transition to angry Marty time because this topic gets me angry. We shouldn't, I mean, that's what I wrote about in the bend today. Okay. They're coming. F- oh, what? sorry. Uh, <laughs> I just what were you getting? Okay, what? Okay. Before I get into my ju- diatribe, yeah, 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 yeah. into Before my tire. Before you get into it, so I had to jump in. Uh, I also asked Rodolfo how he stops uh, the file from being copied. Um, it, it uses the micro SD card serial number in the encryption. So, like, an advanced attacker could use the serial number to do it. But like most normal attackers wouldn't know that they could copy it, and or they would copy it and it, it would serial- fail to decrypt because it because it would have a different serial number. Is a serial number on the chip, or it's the SD chip. card like, serial just, number? Yeah, yeah, on the SD card. I'm saying that's what I'm saying is a chip. Yeah, might. Yeah. yeah, it's on the it's on the SD card. Yeah, like the cold card checks. To make sure the SD card pin, the SD card uh, serial number is the same. But like, if you're an attacker, like, could you like scratch yeah, out you the could serial spoof number? It. You could spoof it, but the idea okay. is that like for the average attacker, it wouldn't know that they could copy it. Okay. Just like the average, right. it just it just eliminates like it reduces the attack surface a bit. But like, yes, an, an advanced attacker could spoof it. That is that's yes. from straight from Rodolfo. All right, straight from. Uh, I like the that. boss's mouth. Live fact checking. Hey, that's hey. We aim to please here at TFTC. Okay, Angry Marty. Recap. Let's go. Angry Marty's here. I wrote about it today. We're talking about all the surveillance tech, all this privacy tech, and it's really to protect ourselves against uh, an establishment class that is sociopathic. Like I wrote about today and the subject I wrote about today, Matt and I actually wanted to talk about it last week, but we couldn't confirm that it was true. So we decided to hold back. And I brought it up after watching a podcast between Timothy Dillon, who's a comedian with Whitney Webb, who's a journalist. And Whitney has been, uh, following the Jeffrey Epstein case pretty intently since, uh, last year, since his death, trying to uh, like, trying to highlight the people that are involved and really get into their backgrounds of what's going on. And towards the end of that episode, if you go listen to it, highly recommend you go listen to it. They touched on the subject of the Chinese surveillance state being imported to the United States and the West. And this is obviously a huge topic that we talk about a lot here. It's one thing I say often we have two paths. We can get the Chinese digital panopticon exported to the rest of the world, or we can go build out systems like Bitcoin that give individuals their sovereignty back in the digital age. 
Uh, we weren't able to confirm a lot of the things that Whitney talked about. Uh, the FOIA Act document really didn't shed, like, really didn't um, prove intent of the people who did the research on that piece to actually compete with China in their surveillance state. But uh, our good friend Miles Suter last night tweeted out an article that was written in The Atlantic last week by, guess what, a Harvard Law School professor, Jack Goldsmith, um, talking about how uh, America is falling behind in the race to control the public in the digital age. So the, the article is titled, Internet Speech Will Never Go Back to Normal. And I'm just going to highlight what Miles highlighted uh, in the screenshots that he took. So China was largely correct and the U.S. was wrong. Uh, in the great debate of the past two decades about freedom versus control of the network, China was largely right and the United, United States was largely wrong. Significant monitoring, monitoring and speech control are inevitable. I wish I had some speech control right now, like literal control of how I articulate things. Uh, significant monitoring and speech control are inevitable components of a mature and flourishing Internet. And governments must play a large role in the practices to ensure that the internet is compatible with the society's norms and values. When the crisis, or what is different about speech regulation related to COVID-19 is the context. The problem is huge and the stakes are very high. But when the crisis is gone, there is no unregulated normal to return to. We live, and for several years, we have been living in a world of serious and growing harms resulting from digital speech. The general trend toward more speech control will not abate. So we didn't talk about it last week. We couldn't talk about it last week because we couldn't prove that this was an actual intention of the establishment to make happen. But this article written five days ago, April 25th, 2020, you have a Harvard Law School professor going in the Atlantic, which is a very well-respected establishment uh, blog, uh, I don't read it that much, but they're literally, they're trying to normalize that we should be competing with Ch- Chinese surveillance and actually surpass them in surveillance to make sure that we, uh, we, uh, who is we, as Beauty Elm would say, uh, the state wants to make sure that they can control us. It comes down to control at the end of the day. So the, the particular uh, passage that I focused on in the bent, but But when the crisis is gone and there is no unregulated normal to return to, we live in for several years, we have been living in a world of serious and growing harms resulting from digital speech. All right. So there's two things here. The one thing is there is no unregulated normal to return to. So if you've been paying attention to the media, the World Health Organization, the politicians in our world, they've been hammering, 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 hammering. New, new normal, new normal, new normal, new normal, new normal. Like they're trying to hammer that into our minds. Like we live in a new normal. Nothing's ever going to be normal again. Just expect and uh, get used to the fact that there's going to be more surveillance. You're going to be restricted to your pods. You're not going to be allowed to go out. You're going to have to. You're going to have to confirm with your local Gestapo police who you've contacted in the last two weeks. Like get used to that new normal. Like they're trying to beat that into your head. They want you to think that this is a new normal. It's not a new normal. And if you pay attention, the, the specific words they use in this passage particularly are fucking, it's Orwellian doublespeak. So in a world of serious and growing harms resulting from digital speech, what the fuck is digital speech? It is free speech just distributed via a digital 
medium. So like they're literally using Orwellian doublespeak to claim that there is some type of speech known as digital speech. I mean, you're reading digital it online. Speech. It is his actual speech is digital speech as well. But it's speech. It's free speech at the end of the day. And so these people they're trying to normalize That's what I'm these saying. establishment these establishment types. They're trying to incept in your head that number one, there's gonna be a new normal. Get used to this pleb. Enjoy your pod. Don't ever don't ever even think about getting close to your family and and not social distancing. Again, social distancing is a very Orwellian term. It should be physical distancing because you should be physically six feet away from something. When you say social dis- distancing, that's saying you should socially distance from your neighbors. Like, don't socially interact with them. Don't think critically. Don't talk to them about what's going on right now. Because if you do, you might fuck up our plans. Okay. Uh, and then the other, th- the other thing in this article, and so all of this, all of this digital speech curbing and, um. And the new normal is all in an effort to uh, to basically stem serious and growing harms that exist because people are speaking freely in the digital world, and they're not uh, they're not basically succumbing to what the establishment wants. What is really causing the harm? Like that that's the other thing. It's coming to light. Uh, the NIH. I don't know what that acronym stands for. It's a health organization sponsored by the government. National Institute of Health, Health, beginning in 2014, uh, has given and distributed $7 million to the Wuhan lab to specifically experiment with manipulating the bat coronavirus to make them better able to infect humans. They canceled this program last week on April 24th, but they're literally telling you... Newsweek reported this. Newsweek reported this, so... Mainstream pretty media, pretty reputable, even though they tried to out Satoshi, but they are reporting, and this is something you can probably confirm because the money has been distributed and they canceled the program last week, $7 million. And Fauci is the one, like the dude in the, the, whole, in the front of the whole coronavirus thing here in America is the one who is okaying this stuff. Well, he's been leading it since 86, that's my yeah. understanding. And he's defending it, saying it would help us be more prepared for a pandemic. And if you've been watching what's gone on over the last few months, you can know that we're woefully underprepared for what's happened. So, like, what the fuck is going on? Allegedly, they were literally... Am I I crazy, Matt? Allegedly, they were literally testing bat coronavirus transmission to humans. Like, that's exactly what they're doing. In Wuhan, at that virology center. That's super sketchy. I I would like to see that... uh, investigated um but i just want to roll back a little bit i just want to unpack uh your rant a little bit um first thing is you know i i just want to say that i i mostly agree with you um you know i think that people have a choice and that choice is between government dependency or personal responsibility at the Matt, end of the day if you're going to be on this podcast i need 100 percent agreement it, i'm kidding at, at the end of the day that's what it comes down to, and it is a personal choice. People have to make that decision um, themselves. Um, the second thing is, see, what this guy said is the cuck mentality, right? So he said that China's 
strategy for digital speech is the right strategy. That's, and then that we should have that. That's the cuck mentality. Me saying that I think that's what's going to happen is the reality that that's the difference, right? Like, unfortunately I do see this coming, right? I think, and I think you would agree. That's why you're angry is because you see this happening, right? You, you see this, the fear, you create the fear, you instill dependency, um, you pump asset prices at the same time to protect the rich. Uh, and then you drop all the Orwellian measures. You put like a little bit of UBI to quell revolt and then you profit, right? Like that's the, it's not even profit. You control, you literally control well, you the control masses. and profit, right? But the meme is profit. Is it the last thing always it's supposed to be? Um, bro down. No bro down's the last part. They're yeah, just sure. trying to bro down. Profit now. from the control. The second thing, the third thing, I don't even know. I'm just been unpacking. Um, like you don't think like just, just so the people, you know, just to steel man yourself a little bit here. Like you don't think like main, mainstream media is like colluding for this narrative, right? No, I think they're dumb patsies in all this. Like okay. not even patsies. They're just like, eh. It goes into incentives. And that's a... Uh, they play ball. I don't right? know. They play I mean, ball they play and they ball. have like a similar mindset. So they but is that collusion? The situation. Is that collusion at the end of the day? No, I don't think it's like active. I don't think there's like this overwhelming like they conspiracy. No, they don't get no, they don't get like directives from the new world order. Like go report this today. Go report right. this today. It's literally their bosses. They get access to these people on them and access and, and stuff get, like that. Yeah. They get access to people if they write a certain way, and it may not be overt and direct. Uh, collusion and pressure but it's an unspoken agreement like hey if i want to play ball i gotta write this way and please these people and they'll let me into the room to to do what i want to do and to get access and prestige it's a prestige game at the end of the yeah, day yeah and at the same time so, we've had like a consolidation of news networks and whatnot um these are like big ass conglomerates so but i want to get into the underlying theme of these like establishment types these sociopaths they want to control you. And I, I wrote about it last week, the Harvard, another Harvard professor. Like, what the fuck is going on at Harvard? Like, this is like four especially people, Harvard dude. Law. But it's at Harvard Law School specifically. But they, they have a lot of clout, it seems. Like, this dude got an article on the front page of The Atlantic. This woman is running a, a closed-door conference over the summer, and it's under the, gui- under the guise that it's specifically to... Uh, to uh, advise against homeschooling, but she wrote an article uh, in the Arizona Law Review that gets to her real intentions. Like, and ending homeschooling is just one uh, effect of what she really wants. She advocates for a reinterpretation of the Constitution that moves from its historic model of negative rights or of individuals being free from state intrusion to positive rights in which the state grants rights and takes a more interventionist role in American life, in particular in the lives of families and children. So you have these people in Harvard, Harvard the most prestigious, like everybody's like, oh, it's just a couple people. Let's talk about some Harvard professors uh, (laughs) that have advised our country recently. Larry Summers, douche economist who is could be one of the main factors of why we're in a precarious situation as we are uh from um an economic standpoint friends with jeffrey epstein 
Pinker, another psychologist from uh, Harvard who is very predominant in uh, elite uh, uh, university thinking, also friends with Epstein. There's these weird connections, man. I don't know. I'd like crazy Uncle Marty. Maybe it's quarantine, but I'm just looking at the the data that is publicly accessible, and it seems like with everything that's going on, there's a concerted effort to. Uh, there's a war on the individual and and the pleb and the common man. The common man is a better term by these elites. They do not like the way you think. The digital speech line, the the Orwellian doublespeak with that two-word phrase alone is like they're trying to manipulate you in a way where digital speech is somehow different than free speech, and they want to use that little crowbar wedge to take away your free speech. I mean, most Sorry our, for the rant. Most of our speech is digital now. We're speaking digitally now. I'm going to try and censor this digital speech. Am I allowed to even have these thoughts? That's the other thing that pisses me off. I'm technically speaking both physical speech and digital speech right now. Yeah. But that's the thing that pisses me off. Even like, I don't know the answers to all this. I'm not going to say I know the intentions of all these individuals. I'm just trying to draw connections and, and, and sort of paint a picture of what I think is happening right now. But even in doing so, like you get painted as a conspiracy theorist. It's like, Hey, and what is it like conspiracy theorist in its own, right? Like people can, powerful people conspire every time if you, or not every time, all the time. If you don't think that happens, you are an idiot. Dave Column, shout out. But, <sighs> but Marty, isn't that a cuck mentality? We're Americans. We can get through this. No, it's not a cuck mentality. You think I'm succumbing to these Harvard establishment losers? I'm calling them out. You're triggered, right? So why are you triggered? You're triggered because you think it's it's possible, right? That they could pull it off. Yeah, I mean, in any any rational thinking human being who's seen what's happened since nine eleven specifically uh, would know that they have been able to pull this off in the past. And, and I agree. Looked at economic I don't policy. think that's a cuck mentality at all. No, it's not a cuck mentality. Yeah. All right. You think I called you a cuck like five weeks ago? I did not call you a cuck. I'm just saying, no, you called my mentality a cuck, but that that was it wasn't. It was exactly what you just said right there. All right, let me make it clear. I did not call your mentality a cuck mentality. I said thinking that we should roll over for China is a cuck mentality. It's in the records, freaks. Look it up. I didn't say we should. I said we are going to. Which Can we is what you and just get over said. The cuck mentality. Look it up. It's in the records. Cheers. I'm sorry. On the computer. Right, I'm sorry. I will bury this axe. What about the gold thing? You're going to bend the knee on the gold right now? Oh, yeah. I should bend the knee on the gold. I don't think uh, gold's fucked. We'll never. I mean, gold standard broke, and I don't think you can fix it. There you go. He meant the to bend the nature, knee on that a couple weeks ago, but we forgot. Yeah. yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry if I... It, you want to find allies in this war to get sound money. I think, I mean, good ally, but I don't, I don't think we should kid ourselves. Gold's never going to be uh, the reserve currency of the world again. It's bastardized at this point. Wow. Drop the mic. Nah, I mean, it's, it's I mean, you'd be dumb to think it could. I'd, be, I'd rather hold Bitcoin. I mean, I think that's why we're here talking right now. Freak, sorry if this was a rambling episode. I'm Number one, quarantine's got me feeling some weird type of way 
luckily I've been getting outside when it's not been raining where I am. Uh, but no, just as the economy shut down and more data is coming out about the virus and it's like the models were so wrong in many cases. And the, in, it just seems like there's an obvious grasp for power and control over people. Like you said, shut down the economy, get people addicted to UBI. That's like, these are the, the stepping stones for a controlled collapse, a controlled demolition of something that may have been on the brink of, of collapse, no matter what happened, whether it was a virus or what, what have you, like we, we've been talking about the spasms and the repo market since last September. I mean, we've been talking about the, the fickleness of the economy in general for, for years now on this podcast. And is this all this virus specifically just a scapegoat and are they using it because they fucked up so bad to try to control us even more? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, you gotta, like, it's, it's, it's a ridiculous concept that, you know, Topeka, Kansas is going to have the same policy that New York city has, you know, like New York city is a city of 8 million people. Um, which is just like brings us back to localism and like obviously it's a ridiculous fucking policy that like they're closing beaches and closing outdoor areas um, transmission is obviously way less likely outside you know practice social distancing wear a mask if there's other people around you know and that that should be that like people should be able to go outside and, and business owners like- should decide if they if they can open but it really I it's got to be as local as possible. It, it It is absolutely ridiculous that it's all being treated the fucking same way. And that's why people are frustrated. It's just government incompetence. Just always. Just constantly. Is it incompetence or is it a grab for control? It's like, both. What's going to come out of this? What's going to come out of this? We're going to have another Patriot Act? Dude, it's going to be super hard to travel. We might not be able to travel without like a special... Vaccination patches? Yeah, I I don't, you know... Do they? Who the fuck died and made made Bill Gates the fucking dictator of vaccines? That's what I want to know. Look, you know, I think when it comes down to it, it's like who makes the vaccine, right? I first of all, I'm already on the record. I don't think there's going to be a vaccine, but like, you know, neither do I. Choosers. If Bill Gates is going to make like, eight vaccine factories, you know, then like who else? Like, if someone else makes a vaccine before him or better. And they'll probably get the contract. The vaccine, if anything, would be like the flu vaccine where it's you're guessing every year. And then, hey, freaks, if you haven't already, go look into Bill Gates' vaccine history. He went into India and reintroduced polio via vaccines. Like, is that the dude we really want making vaccines for this unknown novel virus that historically coronaviruses have not really had good luck producing vaccines? Maybe my tinfoil hat's on, but I don't know. I don't think you should rush... I've I got the flu vaccine and the DTaP vaccine this year because of the birth of my son, but I usually don't get the flu. That was the first time I got the flu vaccine what do you, what's in the over, over vaccine? a decade. It's like tetanus, um, dysperia, I think. You have to take that like every five years or something. Yeah, the last time I got it was in, before I went to college. I don't take I don't take the flu vaccine. I mean, I was like vaccinated for like school and shit. Uh, yeah, I mean, I haven't been back. Yeah, exactly. I, the last time I got vaccines was when I went to college. But I've never taken then, the flu vaccine. I, yeah, it, it didn't really do anything for me this year, and I, I'm not going to be taking it from here on out. But I do <laughs> I think I do think the flu vaccine saves lives. 
like specifically at at-risk populations. Look, I think all of this is pointless anyway because, I mean, I don't think we should rush a vaccine, but I don't think we're going to get a vaccine. I definitely don't think people should be forced to take a vaccine. I don't think there should be vaccine passports. I don't think they should take blood tests for traveling. Uh, we have DNA privacy concerns there. That should be interesting. I, I, I'm super concerned about three things. Um, I think our economy is on a precipice. Uh, yeah, we didn't even talk about that. We're at 30 million unemployed right now. Yeah, that's the 15 largest cities in the in the country combined total population. Um, so the economic situation, um, traveling, I fucking love traveling. Like we already gave up so much privacy traveling. How much more are they going to take away? I feel like there's a lot more that we don't feel like they could take away. We don't realize how much they could take away there. So I think that could be really bad. And I, I just think surveillance across the board. They're going to normalize and expand every, all surveillance. Uh, governments around the world. And the worst part is I expected this. You know, restrictions of cash usage, restrictions of, of private communications, location tracking. But I expected it more on a country-by-country basis. So, like, at least you'd have some kind of arbitrage there, regulatory arbitrage some kind of competition, but because of the global nature of this whole crisis, it's like happening everywhere at the same fucking time, which is like super That's why it seems too perfect, man. It's too perfect, dude. Nah, you, you, it happens, they take advantage. Like that's... It, exactly. Exactly. I'm not saying they like, well, the NIH is fucking funding research into actually creating this, yeah. this particular virus. It makes you question. I'm I mean, sorry if I, that makes me curious, but... It seems a little ridiculous. I'll give you that one. Right? Right? I'll give you that one. It's uh we'll see how that plays out. How do like how do we like how do we fight against this other than buying bitcoin like do we need more people in the streets giving a big middle finger to the powers to be? Should we all just be go, go coughing on our local congressman? No, don't do that. That's a crime now. <laughs> People Dude, did you see the video out of Wisconsin? No. About the cops that? showing up to a, the Gestapo is here in America. The cops showed up to a woman's house because her child was running to a friend's house like during the day and like playing with other kids. And the cops came, wrote down her name, and like gave her a stern warning. But that, um, yeah, I don't know. Was it bad? Was it a bad video? Were they like real dicks about it? Yeah, they were huge dicks about okay. it. Okay. Well, that's fucked. Like, you, you could tell they had, like, a, a power trip. It's like one thing, like, if a local community cop comes and he's like, you really think, like, the daughter should be, like, we're in the middle of a pandemic, you should have your daughter there or whatever. But if they were, they like, were assholes. Like, that's the other thing. As the data comes out about this virus, we need to make better decisions. But like I said... Yes. Yeah. Yes, a lot of people have obviously died, but now we know the demographics and people who are going to fall under the buckets where it affects them the most. And we're finding out that more people are asymptomatic than was previously thought. And so now you need to adjust your decision-making based off that data that you have. And it seems like they're turning away from that data and more towards authoritarianism. Like in California, like they they took that, YouTube video, there's two doctors who are on the front lines, like dissecting this data 
off of YouTube because it did not comply with what the world or they actually said with what the local county that they were domiciled in said. But that's like, who is the arbiter of true information these days? And that's what I said at the bend today. Like digital speech is free speech. And one of the trade-offs that comes with free speech is, yes, you are going to be exposed to falsehoods. You are going to be exposed to bad information that lead you astray. But that's one of the trade-offs that comes with free speech. You either have that trade-off of bad information that you have to decide for yourself whether or not it is truthful or not, or you just allocate all the truth uh quote-unquote truth to authorities who decide and judge what is truthful and what is right in the world and that's not the world you want to live in in my opinion yeah if someone gets to decide what's good and bad speech it's always going to get corrupted eventually yeah Um, so you just got to build build systems where no one no one has that choice Uh, no one has that ability we're six minutes to two hours. We might as well go all the way to two hours. So we got six minutes to get what we need to get in. in. It's been a good rip. I miss you. It's been a long I miss you time, too. man. But like, you know, I, I, it, it depends. It depends where you're located. You know, I mean, I, like I said, I think in New York, like, I don't think the, the lockdown really did that much more. Right, it closed down some bars and some other things uh, that that people were keeping open, but it was like very much, like in a lot of ways, it was self-imposed uh, because we were just like on the verge of getting like they they like waited like a decent amount of time. But then if you're like a random place that has no cases, like that's fucking ridiculous that you're that you're in a lockdown situation. You don't have eight million people. You don't have you know like it ballooning to twelve million people when commuting hours are happening. Uh, like if you, you don't have the crowded subways, so like there's definitely a slippery slope and it's, you know, but I, as you said, more data has come out. Uh, I think the other thing besides data is pre all this shit, like no one was going to ever do the six, six feet apart, wear a facial covering thing. And now people are more trained into that. So we open up again. People will be cautious. They'll take it more seriously, hopefully. Right? It's like it's like kind of what you hope for. But when you have bigger societies, things tend to fall apart easier. Yeah, but that that's also like the thing that's been drilled into people's head is like there's gonna be a second wave. Like you'll never get herd immunity from this. Like how do you know that? Like we how don't do you know, know much? Yeah, but again, like using this stuff just to like leverage fear, like, oh, you better social distance in the summer. There'll be a second wave. Like, how do you know? It's not a flu. It's a coronavirus. And again, I'm not an immunologist. I'm not a virologist. So I don't listen to my advice. I'm not giving advice. I'm just questioning, like, is this all going to look stupid a year, two years from now? Like, and I have flashbacks to other swine flu, Ebola. I remember how afraid I was during that and it turned out to be nothing to what you thought it would be in the long run and this seems to be turning into another one of those instances where it's like oh my god remember like ryan selkis was like 25 billion people will be dead by the end of the year it's like i tweet stamped that yeah it's like we're nowhere near there and i don't think we're gonna get there yeah but we still have like what like there's like 2700 people are dying a day or something like that 2400 globally no there's eight billion people in the world in u.s right I don't know. I haven't 
I think they're mostly at, you know, the at-risk groups, older people and stuff like that. It's been tearing up nursing yeah. homes. But still, uh, like, and then, and that's like in a total, complete economic shutdown. So, you know, I, I think one of the things that has become very clear here is in these types of events, like most of the experts have no idea. They're trying to figure it out. So the average person just gets like left in the dark, like to like what to think at any given time. We've just kind of been, um, you know, in the dark. Well, that's a good point you bring up. The quote unquote experts, experts don't know what's going on. There is no expert when you have a fucking brand new virus. And maybe I'm contradicting myself here. I'm not an expert. I don't know what's going on. But again, the data is coming in. It's not seeming as bad as it was originally. And you're talking to somebody who bugged out and left New York before anybody even thought about quarantines or anything That's like what that. I'm saying, right? Like, you're not going back anytime soon, but you said you're done, right? But, like, you're going to have to move your stuff out. You're not moving your stuff out anytime soon. Um, I'll move my stuff out. We, I, I, will, I, would, I would go back to New York today and move my stuff out if I had a place to put my stuff. Um, okay, so when are you going to look for a place to put your stuff? You're waiting still, the, right? Like, when's yeah. the next time you're going to go to a restaurant, Marty? Like, if the lockdown was lifted tomorrow, I would not go to a restaurant. I would go to my, I don't know about a restaurant, sit down at a restaurant. I would go sit down at a bar, drink some beers, and talk about what's going on with the local bartender. You would get a beer I, at, at the bar? Yes. That's actually what I'm dying to do right now. I would love to get a beer at a bar. I would not, see, I, I believe people should have the right to do it, um, but I personally wouldn't do it. Yeah, I mean, I'm not around any old people or anybody with comorbidities. I've been taking my vitamin D pills, my vitamin C pills, I'm working out. Like, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not that scared. I'm not going to let fear get to me. If I, and I've always had this mentality: if I'm going to die, when I'm going to die, that's that's my time. And I'm not going to. Not saying I'm going to take undue risks to expose myself to a virus. I don't think it is. I wouldn't be surprised if I've had it already and I'm asymptomatic or something like that. Yeah, so I'd mean, love I might to get tested. It. Yeah. I don't know if I want the antibody test. Isn't that a blood test? Yeah. You got to give your, your blood up to uh, whatever that new Terra company is or something like that. Yeah. I don't really want to do that. Yeah. See, don't let fear I mean, get to you. You don't need to know. Yeah. I mean, in my family or my extended family, like we're pretty convinced that a couple of people had it and we were around those people when they had it. Um, like symptoms like loss of taste, loss of smell. That's a weird um, symptom, you know? Yeah. Anyway, freaks, that was our rant for this week. I hope you enjoyed it. <laughs> I do too. I'm sorry. I'm sorry if it seemed a little chaotic, a little crazy, but times are weird and it's chaotic and crazy in my mind because I think like my alarm bells are going off. Like some, like people are trying to take advantage of the shit. People are trying to take advantage of the shit happened at nine 11. This is the perfect environment for a Patriot act like thing to happen right now. And I think it may be happening. Yeah. It's, they're, they're trying to, no, it's totally going to normalize gonna it in the press. It's yeah. totally going to happen. I've already, well, hopefully we're going to, you know, we'll talk about it plenty and, and, and we will fight back, but but I'm kind of resigned to it happening. Don't see. That's where the CM comes into my mind. Like, no, don't be resigned no, to it. no, no. I'm spread gonna spread this message. It. 
We're gonna fight. Spread this but message. It's gonna be. It's gonna. We're gonna fail. Ah, don't say that. See, you, how are you gonna win if you think you're gonna fail? No, because you know the the. the the actual How solution. Are you gonna win if you already think you're going to fail. The, the the actual solution is using running supporting uh, censorship resistant tools, right? And systems that, that can't that. be stopped. But on the regulatory front, I do. I think that is a lost cause. That's all. There's a nuance there. That is nuanced. But hey, freaks! If you agree with us, if you don't think this is just a crazy rant of to, of I'll, I'll just call myself crazy here of Uncle Marty. If you don't think your crazy Uncle Marty's just on a rant right now and you actually think he's talking some sense, share it with people. Share these ideas. Like expose other people who may not be open to these ideas to these ideas and what's going on. Like I and again, I'm so passionate right now. I, I just had a child and I'm thinking about what future do I want him to grow up in? I'm honestly like very, very worried about the future that I'm going to put put in front of him. Like that's who I think about right now. Like, what the fuck? Matt and I are just staring at each other in the eyes right now. We'll do case. it. We'll do it for him, Marty. We'll do it for him. We'll do it for him. All right. We'll 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 spare you, freaks. Peace and love. Take